This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Hey there! I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to The Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode and you hear me reference patreon.com slash Trigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. Hello, and happy Thanksgiving! I have a few announcements before we start the episode. Firstly, next Friday I will be relaunching the Patreon podcast, Unscripted. Over the past month, I've had some time to revamp the podcast to make it stand out more on its own. While Unscripted will still be a behind-the-scenes tour of the making of the Composer Chronicles, starting next Friday you can expect to hear a few new interesting things, including remarkable new theme music by Andrew Gavin, a composer who has become a great friend to the Composer Chronicles and myself. Unscripted is available on Patreon, so be sure to go to patreon.com slash Trigar to get access to this podcast. In the first episode of the revamped Unscripted, you'll get to hear Andrew talk about his process in composing the theme music as well as some deleted clips from interviews and additional facts about the works throughout November. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash Trigar to get access to this podcast. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of the holiday season, Alexandria Media is currently running a sale on all of its merch. If you're a fan of the Composer Chronicles and want to show off your support, be sure to head on over to our Teespring store and get a 15% discount off everything there. I personally love my Composer Chronicles mask and sweater. They are so comfortable, and the quality is amazing. You can find these in other apparel and accessories by going to teespring.com stores slash Media, Or you can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. Be sure to use all uppercase letters in the code to lock in that discount. Show your support of the Composer Chronicles by grabbing some merch. That code again is all uppercase HOLIDAY15 for 15% off all merchandise in the Alexandria Media Store. This sale ends on December 1st, so don't miss out. Happy shopping and happy holidays. In the blackness of a cold winter's night, a young man trudges through the new-fallen snow towards the home of his beloved. Their love had blossomed in the warmth of midspring, and he had hoped to marry her. Now he stands at her gate, staring at her house, and writes good night into the snow, hoping that she will see it and think of him. As he writes, the weather vane on her house creaks and sways in the shifting winds. 
he sneers at the noisy weather vane for mocking him, reminding him that inside this house resides the hearts of those who sway just as much as it. Warm tears stream down his face, but his anger quickly turns on them. His harsh words cause him to freeze on his face, but now his heart begins to weep tears so hot that the snow and ice around him begin to melt. Realizing that he can see the bare ground beneath him, he frantically looks for her footprints in hopes that they will mend his heart. As he wanders, the tears melt more snow and ice, but he must stop them from flowing before they melt the image of her in his heart. A linden tree seems to call out to him, inviting him to take shelter and promising him rest from his pain. But he must remain in this cold, so he refuses the tree's invitation and turns into the cold wind. No matter where he goes, the tree calls out to him, continuing to offer him peace. The snow begins to soak up his tears, keeping them safe for when spring comes to melt it all away. It knows that in spring, the stream will flood and carry those tears down to the town where his beloved lives. The young man walks up to the frozen stream and carves a memorial to their love into its surface. As he carves, he recounts the first time he met his beloved, and he wishes he could go back to standing silently in front of her house. However, the young man is too tired to return there, so he sits down to rest and falls asleep. His slumber brings him dreams of springtime and his beloved, but the cold wind and shrieking of ravens wakes him. He gets up again and continues to wander, and his ears perk when he hears a post-horn calling in the distance. For a short while, he hopes that the horn has brought him news of his beloved, but nothing comes. The biting frost turns his hair white, and for a moment, he rejoices that he is one step closer to the grave. But the frost melts, and his hair returns to its youthful color as he notices a crow circling above him. A leaf clutches onto a tree and quivers in the wind. The young man watches it intently, believing it to predict his fate. If it gets carried off into the wind, all is lost for him. As the leaf is ripped from the tree by the icy wind, he falls to the ground in despair and weeps over the loss of all of his hopes and dreams. A flickering light catches his eye and he follows it to a warm and well-lit home. He watches as a loving couple embrace each other within, and he briefly takes comfort in the illusion. He continues his journey to a graveyard, but he knows that he will find no rest there and turns back to walk down the road. He sings cheerful songs to himself as the vision of three suns appear before him, but as two of them begin to set, he pleads with the third to set as well, because he is happier in the dark. He returns to his hometown to find a man playing the hurdy-gurdy, playing as well as he can with frozen fingers. He has seen this man many times before, and his begging bowl is always empty, and nobody but growling dogs stop to listen. The young man joins the one playing the hurdy-gurdy, and he sings while the other plays.
This is the story in Schubert's beloved song cycle, Winterreise. Ironically, Schubert died while making corrections to the work in November of 1828. Luckily for us, the piece was still finished and published posthumously, just over a month after Schubert died. But what we don't know is the exact reason why such a dark and morose piece was written in the first place. From Alexandria Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of composers past and present. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 25, Fire and Ice. Around the time of completing his song cycle Die Schöne Müller in 1823, a song cycle on poems by poet Wilhelm Müller, Schubert became acquainted with even more poems by Müller. These twelve poems were published that same year in Leipzig under the title Wanderlieder von Wilhelm Müller, Die Winterreise, in zwölf Liedern. Schubert left the poems untouched until February of 1827. After setting these twelve, he discovered that they were only half of a much larger set of 24 poems published in 1824 under the title Poems from the Posthumous Papers of a Traveling Horn Player. I chose to say that one in English because it's much longer and way more difficult to say in the original German. This series of poems were dedicated to the composer Karl Maria von Weber, who was a dear friend of Müller and the godfather of his son, Max. Now, before I go digging any further into the creation of Winterreise, I'm going to rewind the clock to several years earlier, just before Schubert began work on Die Schöne Mütterin. While it was never properly diagnosed or proven, sources say that at the end of 1822, Schubert contracted syphilis. While we may never know whether or not it was actually syphilis, we do know that at this time, Schubert became incredibly ill, and it affected not only his physical health, but his mental health as well. Many of his closest friends began to notice a decline in his mood and a shift in his music. And when asked what was happening, Schubert would only reply with, Soon you will hear and understand. By 1826, Schubert moved to Vienna, where he would remain for the rest of his life. 1827 was a bit of a chaotic year for Schubert. After completing the first set of songs, Schubert would invite a group of his friends over to his home on March 4th to hear him sing them. When the friends arrived at the gathering, 
Schubert was nowhere to be seen, and he wasn't home. The story goes that he had been out running errands at the time, and had postponed the event until later in the year. A few days later, Ludwig van Beethoven passed away, leaving Schubert dumbfounded and shaken. Beethoven was an idol to Schubert, and his passing is often considered a turning point for Schubert's music. Beethoven was such an important part of Schubert's life that he served as a torchbearer at Beethoven's funeral despite his own growing sickness. Ironically, Schubert's friend Johann Meyerhofer, a poet and librettist who often attended musical gatherings of Schubert's music called Schubertiaden, wrote an account of Schubert's new frame of mind. Meyerhofer wrote that Schubert had been deathly ill for quite some time and had gone through many disheartening experiences. Now, quote, life had shed its rosy color. Winter had come for him, end quote. It shouldn't come as a surprise that in September of that year, Wilhelm Müller had also passed away, having never heard either Die Schöne Müllerin or Winterreise. We will continue this tragic story of Schubert and Winterreise after the break. without music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite, and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiance. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash thecomposerchronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today.
Once Schubert had the cycle completed, he rescheduled his performance of the work that he originally intended for earlier that year, and he performed the work at the home of his friend Franz von Schober, another frequent attendee of the Schubertjaden. It was apparent to many of his friends that during the composition of this piece they were about to hear, Schubert maintained his melancholic frame of mind. On the day of the performance, friend and Schubertjaden attendee Joseph von Spahn approached Schubert worried that his gloomy disposition was more than just depression. When asked by Spawn what was the matter, Schubert avoided answering and just invited him to come to Schubert's that day, and he would play a cycle of songs so terrifying that he would finally understand what Schubert was going through. He then went on to tell Spawn that the songs in this new cycle affected him more than any piece that he ever wrote, and he walked away. Later that day, Schubert stood before his friend to give his performance of the newly finished Winterreise. Schubert sang the cycle with so much emotion that those friends were left dumbfounded and worried. Attempting to keep the performance about the music, Schubert chimed in to state that only one song had truly pleased him. The song in the middle, titled Die Lindenbaum, about the tree that invites the young man to take shelter beneath him and rest. Schubert was so angered by this response, as well as the lack of response from any of the other guests, that he shot up from his spot at the piano and scolded them for their lack of empathy. He once again stated that these songs were of great importance to him, and in time, they too would find them just as impactful and meaningful. While we can't prove what illness Schubert was dying from, whether it was syphilis or typhoid fever, it's clear that Schubert knew that he was dying while writing Winterreise. Yet, there is an exhilaration heard in the work, as if in death, Schubert was finally able to unlock what being a true artist is. The relationship between composer and composition is incredibly strong in Winterreise, more than any other piece Schubert wrote prior. With this apparent love for the work, Mixed in with the undeniable melancholy that oozed out of every pore in Schubert's body, those friends at the first performance couldn't possibly have understood what Schubert was trying to get across. Some thought that this almost manic obsession over the work was what eventually caused his death, while others knew that he was ill, but from what they did not know. It's easy to think that such a piece would be a composer's last. In a way it was, but Schubert did continue to compose after the completion of Winterreise. In fact, after Winterreise, Schubert composed a great amount of pieces, including several piano sonatas, impromptus, and trios, a cantata titled Victory Song of Miriam, a few masses, a string quartet, and even another set of songs popularly known today as Schwanengensang. While the manuscript for his Symphony No. 9 is dated in 1828, after the completion of Winterreise, scholars believe that the work was primarily composed a few years prior. However, there is evidence of a 10th symphony that was being worked on just a few weeks prior to his death, but it only remains in piano sketches. On March 26, 1828, on the anniversary of Beethoven's death, Schubert gave his first and only public concert of his own works. 
Up until this point, the only concerts he organized were private ones, such as the private premiere of Winterreise and the Schubertiaden for a select group of people. The concert was an immense success for Schubert. It was not only financially profitable, but he gained incredible recognition in the public and critical eyes. Unfortunately, the concert's success was short-lived due to concerts given by Niccolò Paganini in Vienna just a few days later. Amidst all of this creativity and success, Schubert's health continued to deteriorate. By the end of the summer of 1828, Schubert had finally seen a physician, one by the name of Ernst Wiener, who confirmed that Schubert was beyond cure and would soon die. Some of the symptoms documented by the physician resembled that of mercury poisoning, which was, at the time, a common treatment for syphilis. Fair warning, the next few sentences are likely not for those who consider themselves squeamish. For a short period after, Schubert felt a little bit better, which gave him the strength to continue working. Schubert had been making corrections to Winterweise, but in November, Schubert began experiencing splitting headaches, a high fever, swollen joints, and vomiting. He could no longer eat solid foods, and resigned to not trying to eat. In an attempt to lighten Schubert's spirits, his friend, violinist Karl Holtz, paid him a visit with his string quartet to play for him. Schubert's final request was Beethoven's String Quartet No. 14 in C-sharp minor. Holtz granted this request, saying, quote, The King of Harmony has sent the King of Song a friendly invitation to cross over. End quote. Five days later, Schubert died in the apartment of his brother Ferdinand. The official diagnosis was typhoid fever, but scholars are suspicious of this diagnosis and believe it was something else, including the tertiary stage of the syphilis that he had contracted several years prior. At Schubert's request, he was buried near Beethoven at the Vaaring Cemetery in Vienna. While it seems silly, there's something prophesizing about Schubert's friends believing his obsession over his music particularly Winterreise, was responsible for his death. The work was one of the most important to him, even up until he died. Within the few weeks prior to his death, Schubert revisited his scores to Winterreise to make corrections to them before sending them off to be published. However, he never finished his corrections for them, working on them until just a few days before he died on November 19, 1828. Just over a month after, Schubert's publisher, Tobias Haslinger, published the second half of the cycle, completing the publication of the entire cycle and allowing Schubert's story to be told to the world. This episode was written, researched, and produced by me, Stephen Trigar. The show's theme music was written by Daryl Banner. Other music and resources used in this episode can be found in the show notes or by going to alexandriamedia.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts or to iTunes 
and give the Composer Chronicles a rating and a review. Thank you to those who have already done so. Rates and reviews help new people to find the podcast. If you really liked the episode and want more of this podcast in your life, become a member on Patreon. Starting at only $1.50 a month, members get early access and ad-free versions of the main episodes, plus access to the podcast unscripted. There are more benefits depending on which tier you contribute at, so check that out and sign up at patreon.com slash stephenjchigar. Next week is the second episode in the miniseries Movie Night. Join me and my special guest Andrew Gavin as we discuss the music in Disney films and attempt to answer the question, what makes Disney music so uniquely Disney? Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.